Hello friends, this is Rob Webster. In 1992, I had a chance to spend a summer in Kyiv, Ukraine. And so today, that's what I'm gonna talk about on episode eight of The Story That Writes Us. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. Uh, I wanted to let you know too, I'm going to hit a pause on the weekly release of new episodes of the of the podcast. I'm going on vacation and I've got some great interviews uh, that I'm going to be recording and, and editing those uh, so then I can kind of get back to a regular release schedule. There is going to be an episode next week. It's going to be an abbreviated one. Uh, it's not going to be really storytelling. It's going to be an update on the podcast. I'm going to read some emails and some of the feedback I've gotten from some of you. I'm also going to point you to a survey that I'm going to have online. I want to hear back from you. When do you listen to the podcast? What episodes have been your favorite? Uh, are there things you'd like for me to talk about um, or people you'd suggest that I talk to who'd be great for me to interview? So there will be a little something next week, not a full episode, but just a little uh, update. And then uh, and then there'll be a little bit of a break and I'll come back with some more great interviews and stories Um, for the story that writes us. I was given the opportunity a few weeks ago to give the sermon at my church. And so kind of in the spirit of this podcast and where it's gone and the power of storytelling, instead of doing a normal sermon, I decided to talk about Ukraine and the summer that I spent there in 1992. Certainly with the war that's going on there, I knew it would be of great interest to people. And I saw God do some pretty incredible things while I was there too. So this podcast is the audio of that sermon that was delivered live. I illustrate with a lot of photographs. I'm going to post them on my Facebook page. They're also on the storythatwritesus.com, and the video of the sermon is actually there too, if you want to see the video instead. But meanwhile, let's get on with the sermon. Here it is. Um, so last, so this is two weeks in a row now that there's, that there's been a, a replacement preacher. And uh, Corey is, I think, upstairs with the seniors uh, right now. They've got a, a breakfast up there. Last week, the speaker... Uh, Corey came up before him and gave this long introduction and just really said, you guys are in for such a treat. At the 8.30 service, as we're standing there, Corey leans over to me and says, hey, don't forget to introduce yourself. <laughs> True story. But I'm really, um, I'm really thrilled to, uh, to, to be here. And uh, it really is a, um, I'm humbled, honestly, and scared, um, to be even more honest. But it's, it's great, to, great to be here. This is going to be a little, a little different, too. Um, we have, a, we have a staff devotional time every Tuesday morning before our, our staff meeting here at the church, and, uh, and we rotate uh, who shares. And, and a couple weeks ago, just with everything that's been going on in Ukraine, I actually found a journal that I kept, um, and it just reminded me of a lot of stories that I saw in Ukraine. And so as I was really praying about this opportunity uh, today, I said, you know what, I think I just need to tell stories today. So it's not going to look like a normal sermon. It's going to be story time with Rob, what I did on my summer vacation. Uh, and there you can see me 30 years ago uh, in that picture. And um, anyway, it's, so it might be a little bit different. But, you know, we started a, a podcast here at the church called The Story That Writes Us. And it's, it's a call to all of us to see ourselves as creative and to see ourselves as storytellers. And we do. We tell stories with our lives all the time. And our story is constantly being shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our story is still being written. And that's why it's called the story that writes us. And we live our lives and tell our stories in light of that. And so it's kind of in that spirit uh, that I wanted to tell you all about, uh, about Ukraine and about this trip that I went on 30 years ago and what it has to do with uh, the Apostle Paul and what it has to do with us today. So I'm really uh, grateful for this opportunity. Before I start talking about Ukraine, 
four years before, I was a, 20 years old and a junior in, in college with the college ministry when I went to Ukraine. Uh, four years before that, though, I was 16 years old. In high school, there was a group of Methodist youth from the Northeast who got to go on a trip to the Soviet Union. And that'd be like, imagine like if a group uh, of our youth went to North Korea now. It, it, it wasn't quite that bad, but that was kind of the vibe. It was, it was kind of like, are, is this safe? Can we even, even do this? With the Cold War, it was in its waning years, but still, it's like, this is the Soviet Union. So we were able to be, uh, they knew that we were a church group, and we were going to meet with some official churches there, which had major restrictions put on them, but we went to a Baptist church in Moscow, I remember, and uh, it was really interesting. Uh, we saw two, two guys in the, in the crowd at the Baptist church in Moscow, and someone said, hey, didn't we see them when we were in Red Square yesterday? Like, oh yeah, and there were these two guys. We we later nicknamed them Sergey and Yuri, and uh, who just happened to be every place we were. And they wanted us. They weren't trying to hide it. They wanted us to know you're being followed, and we're watching you. And um, and that that's a little bit unnerving. And um, I remember we, we would try to gather. One, t- one time we were at uh, this huge department store just off of Red Square, and there was like a group of, it's, it's like 10 high school kids. So we were being a little bit loud, and all of a sudden one of our hosts goes, um, <clears throat> y'all need to split up into smaller groups. And we're like, why? And she said, you see the police there and there and there? And they didn't like groups gathering at all, just because it might be people getting ready to do a protest of some sort. or what. So just in that Soviet culture and climate, even large groups couldn't gather. The hotel that we were staying in is called the, in Moscow, was the Cosmos Hotel. And uh, it was a fairly new hotel and it was just off of Red Square, right behind the Kremlin. And people in the Soviet Union couldn't travel freely. You wouldn't, couldn't just go on, they didn't have a hotel industry. So this hotel, they said, hey, this is really for like tourists and, and um, foreign dignitaries. And because it was a new hotel, we were just told up front, your hotel rooms are bugged. Just know that somebody is listening in on everything. They built it into the walls. We're like, oh. So our group, we'd get together and, uh, you know, for meetings in the evenings in, in someone's hotel room, and we'd all join hands and end in prayer. And we'd say, and anybody listening in, if you'd like to join us in prayer right now, we just want you to know that we're praying for you right now. And we would. And we would pray for, her, for, for Yuri and Sergey every night and just ask that they would just join us in prayer. So, uh, so it was very, uh, very different when I went back to what used to be the Soviet Union four years later. Because you see, in 1988, that's when I went to the Soviet Union, 89, and anyone under the age of 30, just trust me on this, 89 is when the Berlin Wall came down. I remember my freshman year in my dorm watching over 48 hours the world change when the Berlin Wall came down. I was stunned. Uh, In 1990 is where the Baltic Republics uh, were the first ones to break off. And what was the Soviet Union split into 15 independent countries. One of the first was Estonia. And on our trip, we'd been to Estonia. There were five Methodist churches in, uh, in Tallinn, Estonia. And we got to visit one of them. And uh, that was a cool experience I'll have to tell you about in, in another message about how that actually helped me become a follower of Christ, believe it or not. Um, but they were one of the first uh, republics to break away. Christmas Day, 1990, was the last day that the Soviet Union existed. And on December 26, it no longer existed. 1991, Ukraine became its own independent country. 1992, mark this in your history books, Rob Webster visited Ukraine. So there you go, that's the timeline. So in 1992, I was working with the, uh, I was in college and our ministry went to, went to Kiev. And we were staying at uh, the dorms of Kiev State University. We were um, eating in the cafeteria, something I do not recommend. Even, even the Ukrainian students were like, you're eating the cafeteria food? I said, I wouldn't say we're eating it. It's being placed before us. It was awful. Um, <laughs> Really. Um, 
But that's what we did for eight weeks. It was a long, it was a long trip, and it was a hard trip um, because the economy was just kind of in this spiral and this free fall, and it was, it was really, really hard. But there were some incredible things going on. Let's take a look at Independence Square. Um, you've probably heard of Independence Square. Um, that's the big uh, main square in Kiev, and all the government buildings around there. Zelensky's office is actually just off of Independence Square uh, today. And, um, Remember, when I'd been to the Soviet Union before, we couldn't gather in, in large groups. Let's show this next slide, though. This is, uh, this is my friend Emily there uh, in the foreground talking with two Ukrainians, and she's telling them about Jesus openly, just having this conversation. And there behind her, if you can see that dark blue sign, um, up on top of those steps, that's where a giant statue of Vladimir Lenin used to stand. And it had been pulled down, and the crowd cheered when the statue of Lenin came down, and it had been replaced with a bank advertisement. <laughs> so they really did replace communism with capitalism, and they, uh, and they put a bank ad there. Uh, but it's really, it's, it's, the reason I wanted to give that context is just to let you all know how amazing it was that we could do this. Let's show this next slide, too. This is a group of soldiers in Ukraine, and they're all reading, a re another religious group had gone by and just handed out religious tracts to them. And, and they all were like lapping it up. So they're all sitting there just reading. I don't do that here today in Plano. I don't go around and this out and a bunch of people eagerly read it. But that's what the climate was like there. After 70 years of not being able to be open about your faith, all of a sudden people were just hungry for it. And so it was a little bit crazy. That first day that I walked into Independence Square, I was with one of our translators. And uh, there, was a, there was a young man dressed in a, in a suit. He was standing on top of a milk crate and he had a Bible and was yelling at everybody. And so I asked the translator, I said, what's with him? And he kind of rolls his eyes. He says, well, there's this group here. They call themselves the Philadelphia Church. And he said, in the book of Revelations, it talks that one of the churches, one of the seven churches is the Philadelphia Church. It's supposed to be the best and the first taken up to heaven. And he said, they're a cult. And I was like, oh, okay. And that's what we saw a lot of. Because I was going there as a Christian missionary everybody was going there. Tarot card readers, there was a lot of astrology that was going in there, bizarre religions, bizarre cults, and it became this crazy kind of free marketplace for ideas. Um, again, radically different from what I saw in the Soviet Union, but it's like, man, I'm, I'm glad we're here at least and being able to, to give voice to this. And it really does remind me of what uh, the Apostle Paul dealt with sometimes in his ministry. One time I was at a church and some people got mad about something and, and they said, we're going to leave. We want to go to a New Testament church. We want to just go to a church that's like that, that church in the first century. And I said, <laughs> no, you don't. Have you read the Bible? And they're like, yeah. And I said, most of it's written to rebuke and correct the first century church. I don't want to be, I would much rather be a part of the 21st century church than the first century. Even, even like the book of Galatians, Paul calls them out and says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? How would you like for that to be your legacy for like all eternity? Custer Road, what is wrong with you people? How would you like that in the Bible? So if you really do read the Bible, a lot of it was uh, theological things were just trying to, to be formed and understood. People were like, what's with Jews and Gentiles worshiping together? I mean, how is someone justified? Can I eat that meat that was sacrificed or not? Are you cool with this, Paul? You know, there were all these things that just had to be slowly worked out over time. Uh, Paul, uh, by the way, there's a group from the church going on a cruise uh, to do this Journeys of Paul cruise. And one of the places that we'll be going to, it's this September, join me, it'll be fun. Uh, one of the places that we're gonna be going to is Athens, Greece. And there's a place there called Mars Hill where they had a temple to, there you go. Someone got it there, yeah. The god Mars had a temple there. And it's actually, you can see the Parthenon from there. I imagine Paul was kind of like a tourist. 
I think Paul was probably like, oh, cool, the Parthenon. I've heard of that place, you know, and it's hard for us to imagine, but Paul was probably like, oh, wow, I'm getting to see the Parthenon. And Mars Hill became this place where philosophers and people would just debate spiritual things. And so Paul in Acts 17, I'm, I'm not going to read the scripture, but it's our scripture for today. I'd encourage you to read it because it's really fascinating. Paul spent a few days in Athens first, and he walked around the city. And he didn't come to the people yelling at him that they were rotten and terrible. He said, hey, he praised him. I said, I can see how religious you guys are. You've built altars all over the city to all these different gods. And they were so afraid that they might miss a god and offend a god that they even had an altar built to an unknown god. Just covering our bases, whoever you are. And so Paul said, hey, I want to proclaim to you now this unknown god whom you seek. And then he preached Christ to them. And I've never quite understood what that atmosphere would look like until I was in Kiev that summer. And just this marketplace of ideas and beliefs uh, that was just kind of, uh, frankly, kind of wheels off. Uh, it, was a little bit, it was a little bit strange, but it gave me great insight into, into what was going on. We were staying in dorms at Kiev State University. If we can put up a, the next slide, Jeff. The, uh, the, the dorms, it was so fun because we could just walk down the halls and they would hear us speaking and they'd say, you're American usually in Ukrainian, we say, yeah, we sure are. Come in, have some tea. And so that became uh, an evangelistic strategy, right? Let's talk to people. And they were so hospitable and so wonderful. Um, we, took, we had a wiffle ball and a bat with us, and we were just killing time one day. In the parking lot behind the dorm, we just started playing just a pickup game of wiffle ball. And before long, we drew a crowd of 100 people who were trying to figure out what was going on and, and what these crazy people were doing and what's this weird game. Pro tip, if you're ever overseas and you try to teach baseball, Y'all, it's a hard game to teach. There'd be like five people on first base. No, you got it. And they're like, why? I want to stay here. They'll get me out if I run to second. I'm like, but that's what you got, got to do. And the, the three strikes and four balls, and then they'd hit it and maybe a foul ball. I'm like, but I hit the ball. Soccer is so much easier. Don't use your hands and get it in the goal, right? It's just, so, so we learned don't teach baseball. The rules are way too confusing, but we would draw a crowd and they'd say, what are you guys doing here? And we'd say, well, we're, we're here to talk to people about Jesus. And it would just lead to these conversations. And we, we even nicknamed it our field of dreams. And we'd begin to pray about our field of dreams. And so we just started, we just started playing baseball. It was really, really amazing. Um, the next slide shows a bunch of our translators uh, that we had here. Um, take note of the guy in the middle and the woman on the right. Uh, you're gonna hear more stories about them. Uh, the, the, the picture on the front of your bulletin, three of those guys uh, are named Sergey. Um, everybody there is named Sergey. And so as we're talking amongst the Americans, uh, you know, someone say, well, Sergei said, well, which Sergei? So we had to give them all nicknames. So one just wore a yellow shirt. Well, is it yellow shirt Sergei or is it little Sergei? And the guy in the middle, uh, he went by Serge uh, instead of Sergei. A lot of them would shorten it to Serge. And so we nicknamed him Power Surge. And uh, there's Power Surge right there. And, uh, and Power Surge uh, was, was awesome. And he said, what, what does this mean, Power Surge? So we explained it to him. He goes, oh, I like Power Surge. So he, he loved being called Power Surge. So here's what's interesting, though. Uh, Power Surge um, was an atheist, but he was translating for us. So funny story, one day we went to a clean lake and I, I said, great, I don't wanna go to a dirty lake. And they said, no, no, no. That means it was dug after 1986. Any thoughts on why that would be important? Chernobyl. Chernobyl. The Chernobyl explosion and the radiation from that um, really gathers in silt that would go to the bottom of lakes. So you don't want to eat the shellfish uh, if there's a lake that was from uh, before Chernobyl. So they built a bunch of man-made lakes afterwards so that you'd have recreation and you'd have 
uh, you know, the other aquatic life. And so they had a beach. And so we go, we had some badminton. And, I, you know, I used to play badminton in my grandma's backyard, just this fun little game. Man, Ukrainians, they're cramming it down. I mean, they take their badminton really seriously. So another pro tip, don't play badminton if you value your life. And we had so much fun, though. Again, same thing, gathering a crowd there. And it's so funny, my friend Cynthia, uh, she was there, and she had these uh, five Ukrainian women college students gathered around her, and Power Surge is translating for her. And we found out later... Cynthia's just explaining the gospel and who Jesus is. And so Serge is translating. He says, now she's saying that if you want to, you can pray a prayer and you can invite Christ to come into your heart. Personally, I don't believe any of this, but this is what they're saying. (laughs) And all five of them trusted Christ that day. So in spite of Serge's sense, so he was a terrible translator and a great translator at the same time. And somehow God managed to use this atheist power surge uh, to, to lead people to Christ, even though he was like, totally butchering it. And I'm like, Serge, don't tell him that. Um, and we got to be good friends. And so I started asking Serge, uh, every day I'd ask him, I'd say, hey, hey, Serge, are you a Christian yet? And he'd laugh, he'd shake his head, he'd say, no, Rob, I'm not a Christian. I'm an atheist, I'm not a Christian. I'm like, okay. Every day I'd ask him, Serge, are you a Christian yet? He'd just laugh, say, no, I'm, I'm not a Christian. But I'm grateful anyway for, for how God used Serge uh, to bring people to Christ. It's amazing, isn't it, who God can use, even an atheist who's a bad translator. Um, one of the tools that we had at our disposal was something called the Jesus Film. I don't know if you guys have heard of the Jesus Film. It's not a great film. It's almost a documentary-style uh, film about Jesus um, that's really faithful to the book of Luke. Uh, it was produced in the 1980s, and it was made with one specific purpose in mind, though. It was designed to be translated. The second most translated movie in the world, I think, has been translated into something like 20 languages. I read one time that eight languages gets you to 85% of the world. So it's like, do you really need that? The Jesus film has been translated into like 350 different languages. I mean, it just eclipses anything else. And they will hire local actors to do voice. They'll go to remote villages and find locals there to do the overdubbing for Jesus. And they, have, they invented all this technology to sync it up with the actors on screen. So when people see the story of Jesus in their own dialect, sometimes even someone speaking with a local accent, what a gift it is and what a sign of love. And we happen to have a Ukrainian copy of the Jesus film with us. Let's take a look at this next slide. Um, there's my friend Bobby with our projector and we had uh, speakers and a screen. Uh, let's see the next one. This is, this is in Independence Square. There's the bank ad and in front of it, Jesus. I mean, come on, communism, bank. All right, let's put Jesus in front of the bank sign. So right there in Independence Square, we were able to do this. Let's see the next slide. Uh, There's me and my friend Billy. So what we would do, this was reel-to-reel movies, and I think it was four reels. And we'd have to change out the reels. They'd take a couple minutes to do. And so we'd do a song, or let's see the next one I think is uh, testimony. There's my friend Carol sharing her testimony. And so we would do things in between um, to do that. And then the movie ends explaining who Jesus is and how you can know Jesus. And so if we see that next slide now, um, that's the crowd afterwards. We had a bunch of, um, they were in Russian, but Ukrainians could read Russian. They had for 70 years. So we had Russian um, paperback New Testaments that we would hand out to people. And the crowds just loved it. We also had contact cards. Because we said, if you, if you made a decision, we'd, we'd love to know who you are and some local Christians would love to be in, in touch with you. Those weren't particularly successful. And someone said, listen, it used to be dangerous if you signed your name on anything that might say that you're a Christian. So there was still some paranoia and some reticence to do that. We would get some contact cards back, but for the most part, people would take the Bibles and we just have to trust that, that God would continue, um, continue to work. And I want to show you one more too. This is just a little side note. 
Um, so this is also, you can't see it. There were, there were big, tall dorm uh, buildings all around us. And uh, my friends are there in the front telling some people about Jesus. But there are a lot of Africans there in the background. And we found one whole area of Kiev State, a whole dorm complex, um, that if you would have told me I was in Uganda, I might have believed you. And what we realized was that a lot of African university students would go to Kiev to get a better education. And so, of course, we're thinking strategically, wow, we thought this might be a gateway to bringing Christ to Ukraine, but this is kind of a gateway to bringing Christ to Africa as well. And the people will be taking this gospel back to their homes in whatever cities they're from, from all over the continent of Africa. It was really remarkable. And one night we showed the Jesus film actually at this very spot, um, and about a thousand people came and, and watched it. And it was uh, just a remarkable, just a remarkable evening. Well, I, I showed you that slide of the translators that we had before. I've, I've done a lot of mission trips, and sometimes they're super organized, and you've got an American team on the ground. They plan out your schedule. You're going to go here. We're going to do this. And other times, you're just kind of drop shipped in, figure it out. And this was one of those summers where we knew we had the dorm set up. Um, some translators, a lot of them were just English students from the university, had been hired. That was about it. And so we were really at, the, at their mercy in a lot of ways. Like I said, we started playing baseball. Hey, this works. There's a beach, great, let's get on the train, 45 minute train ride, let's do something there. Um, so there was one translator, and you saw our picture before, her name was Helen. Ooh, Helen was salty, oh my goodness. This, she was like, she wasn't asking our advice on anything. She's like, you're gonna do this, and we're like, whoa, wait, wait, wait. So she tells us one night, she says, hey, um, just so you guys know, um, we're gonna go, um, show the Jesus film at a hospital. So just uh, be outside your dorm at 6 p.m. and, and someone will pick you up. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. We're, we're kind of a big team here. You can't just, she says, nope, you're gonna be there at six. And we're like, well, do we need like money for cabs? How are you? She goes, I'm taking care of the details. We're like, Helen, just tell us. She goes, nope, just show up. We're like, oh my gosh, so difficult. So we all uh, get there and we've got uh, all of our team there. Let's see the next slide. Here's, here's our transportation arrives. Uh, this beat up old ambulance. Now that's just a small portion of our team. You can see power surge there too, uh, second from the left. And um, we had 15 of us, two guitars and the Jesus film kit. 15 of us, did you hear that? To squeeze into this hunk of junk. It, it looks like the Ghostbusters mobile now, it, it'd be cool. Uh, but let's see the next slide too. This is uh, after we got pulled over. Um, and uh, that's, that's a friend of mine reattaching the flashlight to the front. The headlights didn't work at all, and we had two flashlights just tied onto the front. So, yeah, so we got, so we got pulled over, and uh, which is, it's just hilarious. And basically, it's, okay, so I should have told this in the last service. Uh, we just bribed the cops. You can do that there. We're just like, here's $20. Can you go wait? No problem. Carry on. You know, <laughs> it's like, I like this country sometimes. Uh, so anyway, let's see the next slide, though. This is, this, is the, uh, this is the hospital that we pulled up to. And so we go in this hospital. And, um, and I'm looking around, I'm like, this doesn't, this doesn't look like a hospital. This is, this is weird. And all the people that I saw there as we walked into this lobby, they're dressed normal, just like they're hanging out. There weren't any hospital gowns. Occasionally I'd see someone with like a bandage on their arm, but it, and it was people from all ages, all walks of life. And I'm thinking, this is really, really strange. And finally, someone who did look like they belong in a hospital, a doctor came up and was talking to us. And through our translator, she said, uh, she said, well, this is, a, uh, this is a cancer hospital. And six years after Chernobyl, they were seeing the cancers, a lot of thyroid cancers. And she said, I'm trained in how to treat this. I'm an oncologist. 
I know how to do chemotherapy, but we don't have any chemotherapy drugs. But we have morphine, and we can keep people comfortable. This place used to be a communist party resort. So the party officials could go there to this spa, and they converted it into a hospital for cancer patients from Chernobyl. Um, because it was a resort, it also had a movie theater. So we said, funny you say that, we have a movie to show. And so we were able to go into this nice theater, and they had the screen, and we took our projector back to the projection booth. And, um, and I remember I was emceeing that night, and um, so the place fills up, and we showed the Jesus film. And we had some testimonies and whatnot after the first couple reels. And um, I'll never forget, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you one important detail in the ambulance. I remember we came spilling out of that ambulance. We were burning up. 15 of us packed in there for this long ambulance ride, and it was hot, and Helen would not roll down the windows. And she's like, no, 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 my hair, you know, she's doing this, and she would not, we're like, Helen, for crying out loud. Anyway, so she was, in the, she was in the back with us in the booth, because I can remember after the third reel of the movie is where Jesus is about to be crucified. And there was this palpable tension, and Helen says, hey, I wouldn't have anybody get up. I'm like, no, no, this is kind of what we do. She goes, mm, I wouldn't. And she was right. She said, just let this moment just sink in. And so in silence, we changed out the reels and showed the last reel that shows the crucifixion of Jesus. And we could hear people crying in the audience. And then his glorious resurrection and this invitation for them to enter into a relationship with Jesus. So I got up afterwards as the MC, and I said, hey, we all just saw that and you know, had a prayer at the end. I'm curious, how many of you all prayed that prayer? And there were 110 seats in that auditorium and 110 hands went up. And I've never seen a response like that before. And I just said, wow. I lost my train of thought. I got tongue-tied. I, I just stood there dazed. And um, like I said, we had all these Bibles to hand out. Now, let's see this next slide, Jeff. Uh, this, is, this is us handing out these, these Bibles to these people who were so happy to get them. And I remember there was a, an old woman at the end. We'd given out all the Bibles we had. We didn't bring enough. And, and a very old woman came up, and she was grabbing my hand, and she kept saying, Biblia, Biblia. She really, really, really wanted a Bible. I said, I'm sorry, we've given them all out. And then I remembered, you know, these were Russian New Testaments, but we did have a handful of hardcover Ukrainian Old and New Testament Bibles. And they were kind of special gifts, and we'd pulled out just enough to give the hospital, we'd give them, you know, to, to the dignitaries, whatever, and we were giving them to the hospital administrators. And I'm just looking at this woman, I just said, I, I need to get her a Bible. And so I remember walking off stage, going to this small stack of the, of the Bibles we were holding out, and hearing Helen going, Rob, not those Bibles! Helen, crying out loud, leave me alone. Uh, <laughs> so, I got, so I got this Bible, and I gave it to this woman, and she immediately started crying, and she kept kissing my hand, saying, spasiba, spasiba, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And a nurse was there, and, and, and Helen approved eventually. She said that was the right thing to do. I said, thank you, Helen. Appreciate, appreciate that. And a, and a nurse told me, um, she said, this woman, she said, we don't know how long she has to live, but she's been asking for a Bible ever since she got here. And I, for all I know, that woman might have died the next day, but I tell you what, I'm convinced. That night she read it cover to cover. She was so thirsty for the word of God what a great reminder to me of what a treasure we have in the Word of God. 
What a gift it is to us. And what a witness that woman, so excited to get that Bible. What a witness she was to me. When we got back in the ambulance, uh, uh, Helen said, that's why I wanted you all to come to the hospital. And then she said, I have thyroid cancer too. And that's why I wanted the window to stay up because I'm losing my hair. I was uh, sitting next to Power Surge in the ambulance and he was angry, just irritable. I was like, hey, what'd you, what'd you think about tonight? And he goes, people say anything to get something. I said, what are, you, what are you talking about? He says, we have so little here. Of course they'd say they follow Jesus just to get free Bibles. I said, sir, they didn't know they were going to get free Bibles when they said that. I said, I think, Serge, we're, we're 20 years old. We think we're going to live forever. We're not surrounded by death. These people want to know that life is a comma and not a period. And they want to know that there is a hope for them. And you need to know that too. Later that night, we got back to the dorms, and uh, as we were all kind of going off to our different rooms, I asked Serge, Serge, are you a Christian yet? He looked at me and goes, no, Rob, not yet. Did you catch the change? It wasn't no. It was not yet. Um, Serge and I stayed in touch for a little bit. First letter, he says, Rob, it's been very silent from America. Are you married yet? I'm like, dude. <laughs> um, but a year later, this is, uh, let's see, this is June 27th, 1993. I found this in my garage yesterday. I can't believe I still, I still had it. But this is a letter that I got from Serge. He says, hi, Rob. Uh, here we go again. I decided to write a letter. There's been many things happening. Probably the most interesting for you will be that I became a Christian. Serge, um, Serge translated for other American missionary teams. Our team leader actually went to uh, Belarusia for the next like three or four summers. And he would always take Serge with him. And I saw a picture of Serge in a clean lake getting baptized a year later. And it just did my heart so good uh, to know that he'd become a believer. And it reminds me, you know, there was, a, there was a blind man in the Bible and people were asking him about Jesus and who, who did this, who healed you? And all the blind man says, look, I don't know who this Jesus guy is. All I know is I was blind and now I see. And we all have a story. You do, you've got, some people think, I don't really have a story. I don't have a testament. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you absolutely do. And your story is powerful. And I saw what God did in Ukraine. And I saw a unique move of his spirit among people who were so thirsty for it. And so I'm here to testify to that and say, I was blind, but now I see. I see the power of God to move in and through people, even an atheist translator, God can use. Even Helen, <laughs> even Helen, God bless her. God used Helen and God can do amazing things. When the fighting broke out in Ukraine three months ago, um, I emailed my friend, Nate. He'd been our team leader and he'd led these, these other mission trips. And I said, hey, whatever happened to Serge? And Nate said, oh, you, you didn't know. I said, no. He said, he's been to the States a number of times. He's married and has three kids. He stays at our house when he comes. So I didn't realize they'd, they'd gotten to be so close. And he said, you know, they, um, they fled. They're trying to, his father's in the Southwest and they're gonna try to pick him up and, and get to Poland. Um, so I reached out to Nate yesterday and said, hey, what's the update? And he said, well, uh, he's got one son who's in college in Poland. And he said his wife and two other sons made it to Budapest, Hungary and are going to be staying there for a while. 
Serge is driving a truck into Ukraine with relief supplies, and he's going to churches there and dropping off the supplies and letting the churches distribute them to the people in need. Well, this is awkward now because I don't have a good bow to tie this up with. But that's how stories are. You know, I said we called the podcast The Story That Writes Us because the story is still being written. Pray for Serge. Uh, you know, it's dangerous what he's doing. I asked, I said, can I, uh, my friend Nate, I said, are there any security risks? He goes, no, there are no security risks. He said, every Ukrainian's at risk. Um, you're not going to add to the risk by telling his story. Um, Sometimes we watch the news through a filter, a political filter maybe, or whatever the anchors want to talk about, whatever it is they want to make you feel. I remember when I first became a believer in Christ, I was a church kid, so people didn't see some radical behavioral change in me. But I remember realizing my filter is different now because I filter the world through the word of God. And so I guess I'll just leave you with this, that God is on his throne. Even when we see Ukraine, even when we see chaos in our lives, I don't understand it all, and I don't know how it's going to end. Well, I do know how it's going to end. We know how it's going to end. And that's the hope that we have. And that's my hope for Ukraine. That's my hope for all of us, too. And we all have a story, and we all have a testimony. And this has been mine today. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much. I don't even know where to begin. Sometimes just to, to pull back, this has been a great exercise for me to look 30 years back at old journals um, from a unique summer where I was honestly miserable. I was not having a fun time that summer, but God, to see what you did and to see how that work carries on today. And I think of all the conversations that we may have and seeds that may get planted. It's just remarkable, God, to know that to know that you're at work in people's lives even when we don't realize it, and to know that you can use an atheist translator uh, to lead people to Christ. God, that gives me hope when I'm sinful and fallen to know that you can use even me. We're merely vessels for your love. So God, help us lean into that and to be witnesses of who you are and of your glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to this somewhat different episode today. Uh, let me know your thoughts on it. Rob at the story that writes us.com is my email address. If you have any feedback or thoughts on this, I'd love to hear it. There will be a brief episode next week that more just gives an update on where we're going with the podcast. And then I'll be taking a little bit of a break. Hey, thank you though for joining me on this ride. I'm having a blast. I hope you are too. Share this podcast with your friends, post it on social media. If this has been meaningful to you, I hope that you'll do that, that you'll let other people know about it and point them here. This podcast is part of the Adult Discipleship Ministries at Custer Road United Methodist Church in Plano, Texas, but hopefully it means something to people outside of Plano, Texas as well. Thank you all for being a part of this community.